0: Chapter Two of the Submarine Boys for the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan. The Submarine Boys for the Flag by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Two. French spoken here. Well, what do you think of that? It was Epp Summers who put the question, and the time was fifteen minutes later. Captain Jack had met his two comrades upon the main street of the village. He told them, with a good deal of amusement, of his late talk with the German. Hal Hasties didn't say a word, but his eyes twinkled. "'I wouldn't have minded,' laughed Jack, "'but it was the professor's cocksureness that I was about to be German officer.' Ah, "'He's an old man,' asked Hal not very answered jack perhaps not old enough to know better but anyway if we're going to a foreign government germany would be about the last country germany is our rival in building a large navy about every other month the experts in germany sit down to figure out where they are headed are they ahead of us in tonnage or warships and if so whether there's any danger of our catching up with them now unless the germans have a notion that they may need to fight us one of these days oh i don't believe anything of that sort broke in hal shaking his head i don't believe any country in the world is aching to pick a quarrel with us no not when the united states pocketbook is such a fat one and so well built for paying war expenses screamed up then his look became more solemn as he added But we don't want ever to get into a naval condition where it would be easy for some other country to snatch that fat pocketbook out of our hands." "'Let's go ahead, fellows, drowning in confusion to all possible foes afloat,' proposed Hal, the one who could never see war on the horizon. After a winter of hot sodas, it'll be a relief to know the druggist put in ice cream soda today." So the three boys turned and made their way down to the drugstore. While they were exploring with spoons the bottom of their glasses, the street door opened, Herr Professor Radberg looked in, then came in, beaming condescently on the young men. "'Ach, you young men are just the ones I wish to see,' he exclaimed, resting one hand on Epps' shoulder and the other on Hal's. "'Lots of folks would pay for that privilege,' declared Epp solemnly. "'Yes, well, I will pay too.' You shall see i shall look for you at the hotel in just one hour one hour remember have you a telescope inquired up calmly a telescope huh inquired the german what for you might need it in looking for us i replied then in one hour i shall see you at the hotel you'll be lucky if you do grinned up i don't know that i understand responded Herr professor radberg slowly if you're figuring on seeing us Epp went on gravely, I'm afraid you're in for bad news. Bad news? Ah, what do you mean, young man? Just what I said, replied Epp. Professor Radberg looked so puzzled that Hal Hastings broke in, quietly. Professor, unless I'm much in error, do you want to see us about the proposition that we enter the German Naval Service? Hush, not so loud, warned Radberg, looking suspiciously around. There's nothing we have to keep quiet about, Hal went on. You have already spoken to our captain Jack Benton about this matter. Ah yes, and Jack has refused. Your captain is a fool, cried the German. Then we serve a fool because he's our captain, retorted Hal quietly, though there was a flash in his eyes. I shall look for you two at the hotel in one hour, declared the German impressively. My friend, Mr. Somers has already told you that you'll be using your eyesight to poor advantage, and Hal answered, What do you mean? What I mean, Professor, that you can't possibly persuade us to go to Germany and tell your people anything that we know about the Pollard submarine boat or any other type. But you shall be well paid. Professor, what would be your price for selling out your country to the United States? asked Hal gazing fixedly at the german you insult me cried the german his face growing red i'm a patriot yet you insult us by thinking we would sell out our country went on hal coolly are you two going to be as big a fools as your captain demanded here professor radberg almost incredulously bigger promised up with a grin ach well we shall talk this over when you come to the hotel in an hour replied the german He turned and left the store now i don't doubt mocked hal he has gone away firm in the belief that we will keep his appointment he will wake up after a while laughed eph somers after indulging in the second ice cream soda the submarine boys started down the street toward the farnham shipyard where the pollard boats were being built as they passed the street corner they heard a cautious "'Now who threw that our way?' demanded the irrepressible. "'Epp, turning swiftly. "'Then he added in a tone so low that only his comrades could hear. "'They, fellows, I'll bet that cost something.' "'That was a rather undersized little man, of perhaps thirty, "'dark of hair and sparkling of eye. "'The stranger's rather pallid face was partly covered in front "'by a short goatee of the French imperial sort.' and a mustache whose points were waxed out in fierce military fashion. It was the Strangers of Harold that attracted Epps' notice particularly. The stranger was arrayed in almost exquisite fashion. His clothes were of the finest texture and latest Parisian types. His little pointed shoes were almost as dainty as a girl's. Though the day was warm, the stranger was gloved, and handled a cane in the head of which a handsome amethyst stone. I wonder how he got through the custom house was eph summer's next undertoned question good morning gentlemen greeted the stranger coming toward them all smiles and bows. have i not met the mistake since i am addressing the torpedo boys righto drawled eph regular human torpedoes as touchy as gun cotton well, i am due to explode this moment though the stranger looked puzzled at first his face rapidly broke into a cordial smile Aha! Uh-huh, I understand you meek what you, the Americans, uh, joke. You have a little fun with me, right? The Frenchman, for that he unmistakably was, laughed in the utmost good humour. The boys found themselves much inclined to like this stranger. Now, oh, young gentlemen," continued the Frenchman, "I am the Chevalier de Duras. Glad to meet you, Chev." Volunteered Epp with a suspicious amiability. Holding out his hand, which the Frenchman took daintily, to I am Chevalier myself, and this awkward gawky looking boy with me as our engineer. Epp had a tight grip on the stranger's hand by this time, and was surely making it interesting for the Frenchman. Chevalier Dioré was doing his best to restrain his politeness, but Summer's hearty grip hurt the foreigner's off little hand. What can we do for you, Chev?" demanded Epp holding the Frenchman's hand so persistently that Hastings gave his friend a sharp nudge in the back. Let's go somewhere, sir, the Frenchman. Some place where we can sit down and have the talk about important matters. I have the message for you that I cannot deliver upon the street. No, don't say, please, begged up. that you have heard we wanted to be in the French Navy. Chavalier looked intensely astonished. Bah, blue, you are one marble gasped the frenchman you read my most secret thought but yes you have made the one right guess however i cannot more say upon the street let us go somewhere else all right nodded up you go along now and we'll be along in an hour with pleasure noted the chevalier eagerly but where shall we go anywhere you like suggested Epp cordially but then how will i know where i am to be found "'Oh, well, take a chance on that,' proposed Epp carelessly. "'But unless I am able to say now where I shall be,' the Frenchman started to argue. "'Well, guess the meeting place as well as we did your errand,' proposed Epp. Ten thousand thousand thanks,' cried the Chevalier. "'Yet for freer we must make one mistake, suppose I say. "'Epp Summers had struck such a streak of guying nonsense that Jack Benson felt called upon to interpose for he and hal both liked the twinkling eyes and good-humored face of the standified little frenchman pardon me sir jack accordingly broke in but if we happened to guess your errand it was because we have just gotten away from the agent of another government how is that possible cried the chevalier duray a disappointed look came on to his face yes it's true nodded jack but you did not come to any terms with them. oh no Ah, the the coast is still clear cried the little frenchman delightedly so as to where we can meet and make the one talk we can get that all over with right here jack replied we can make you the same answer that we gave the other man we are americans and we never thought of serving another flag even peace time chevalier i can save your time by telling you that any arrangement to engage our services away from the United States would be utterly hopeless. What oh, is the money? began the Frenchman protestingly. There isn't money enough across the Atlantic to hire us, Jack answered bluntly. And the honor. Honor? What would the word afterwards mean to Americans? Chevalier after they have left their own country to serve another? The Chevalier began to look as though he realized. He had a harder task before him than he had expected. So you see, sir, Jack went on, it would not be in the least worth your while to try to tempt us. Come what will may, we are under the American flag for life. You yourself, Chevalier, wouldn't leave the French flag to serve this country, Great Britain or Germany? No, but that's different, for I monsieur I'm a Frenchman. And we are Americans, Jack responded. "'I believe you now,' as the gentleman replied the Frenchman, in a tone of disappointment. "'But I shall not go away before tomorrow. "'Change your mind or wish to hear what I have to make an offer?' "'Thank you,' nodded Jack. "'But don't waste any more time on the chevalier, and now good-bye.' The chevalier de Re shook hands with them all most gallantly. Epp felt somewhat ashamed of his late nonsense, and to prove it, Hit the chevalier a friendly slap on one shoulder that set the frenchman to coughing hey muttered jack as the three now hurried along the street began to wish i had a good umbrella "Hum, you look great with one reported hal you have stood on the platform deck of a submarine for hours steering unconcernedly when the skies were trying to drown you but i feel remonstrated jack that it's soon going to rain foreign agent." I like to get in out of the international wet oh we won't see any more of these fellows smiled Hal. now that's just where i believe you're wrong miss mate continued jack these foreign governments hire detectives to watch each other when we hear from one we're likely to hear from the whole lot at once look around you Ep. do you see a chap anywhere not a solitary Jiu-Jitsu fiend responded up after halting and staring both ways and turn along the street. Oh well, Japan is about due, laughed Benson, and now let's get in through the gate of the shipyard, if any more of these foreign agents show up. Well, there are two boats in the harbor that are in commission. We'll find an excuse to put to sea in one of them. Just the youngsters I was looking out to try to find, hailed Grant Andrews foreman of the submarine construction work, as he hurried across the yard. Mr. Farnham told me to get out and find you. He had sent someone else, but I guess the business is rather on the quiet. Is he in his office? queried Jack. Yes. Thank you. We'll go right in, then. No, I wonder what country it is whose agent has gotten hold of Mr. Farnham, asked plaintively. Nonsense, mocked Jack. That's what we try to tell him mock-up, but the Germans are the hardest. All three of the submarine boys were laughing so heartily as they entered the shipbuilder's private office that Jacob Farnum, a youngest-looking man to be at the head of so large a manufacturing plant, glanced up quickly. What's joke, boys? he added. I haven't had a laugh since I pounded my thumbnail with a sledgehammer. Captain Jack Benson quickly detailed the meetings with Radberg and Douret. The Frenchman didn't look a bit like a Chevalier either muttered epp if anything they look more in the Germans' line well you'll have a chance to get rid of nonsense now for a while went on mr farnum after having enjoyed a few laughs with the boys i've some serious business in hand for you and the time has come that was like the shipbuilder whatever he was planning at any time he kept strictly to himself until the time came to put the plan into operation It's quite an important little job for you up at the Craven's Bay," continued Mr. Farnham. "You know there are important fortifications there because the navy people expect, in wartime, to use Craven's Bay as a possible import naval station and shelter of vessels that have to put in. Now, for some time the army engineers have been perfecting a system of submarine mines for the bay. Engineers have a problem on hand as to whether an enemy submarine boat could sneak into the bay and blow up the submarine mines before the Army woke up to the danger. There's a chance that could be done, nodded Jack, musingly. Just so, nodded Mr. Hornham. So I want you to go up in one of the boats tomorrow. The engineer officers at the station will test it out with you whether a submarine can destroy the mines or the mines can be made to destroy the submarine boats. Then the Army engineers will use dummy submarine mines, I hope, it up. Of course not, Mr. Farman. Now the trip to Craven's Bay is only an eight-hour sail at a good gait, so you won't really need to start until after dark tonight. I believe I'd rather start now, though, and go at less speed, suggested Jack thoughtfully. That's just as you please, of course, nodded the shipbuilder. I will take us out on the water for one thing, Captain Jack continued, and we've been growing stale on shore of late. Then he added whimsically, Besides, if the agents of any more foreign governments show up, they won't find us here. And there's a Jap just about to now, grimaced Epp. Take Williamson with you for use in the engine room, advised Mr. Farnham. That will allow you to take the boat through the two watches above and below. Which boat will you take? The Spitfire, unless you'd rather have us take the other one, young Benson replied. Take the Spitfire by all means, nodded the owner. Twenty minutes later, Williamson having been found, the crew was all ready for the start for Cravens Bay. Epp and Williamson cast off from the mornings, while Hal Hastings, down below at the gasoline motors, started the twin propellers as soon as Jack Benson at the deck wheel signaled for speed ahead. Right after the start, Williamson, a grown man and machinist, dropped below. Epp Summers stood beside the young submarine captain. For some minutes both boys gazed out over the waters, and remarked, Well, we got away without being overhauled by a Jap or a Russian, didn't we? I don't know, smiled Jack, unsuspectingly. See that launch over there to port? Hang if she doesn't seem to be putting toward us. She does, admitted up solemnly. Oh well, with a few more turns of the screw we can easily get away from that launch. Some moments, Captain Jack paid no especial heed to the launch bearing down upon them on the port side. Not only at a distance that the launch contained two men. Presently, however, as the launch came nearer, Captain Benson made a discovery. Epp, he gasped, look over there. Are my eyes going back on me, or is that a Japanese in the bow of the launch? Japanese, gasped Epp Summers in turn. Nothing but... Epp made a swift dive for the box that contained the signal flags used in International Marine Signaling Code. Moving swiftly, young Summer selected the two flags representing N and D. Then he strung into the halyard of the short signal mast forward. Nor was he ahead of time, for by the time the launch had described part of a circle, and was coming up alongside. In the bow of the launch stood the Japanese, smiling, and holding a megaphone in his hand. Summereen ahoy, came the hell. We'll slow down, I have something to say to you. Up flew the signals, fluttering in the breeze, and Epp snatched up a megaphone, holding the smaller end to his mouth. Launch ahoy, he shouted back. Just tell your folks that you saw our signal. Japanese read the fluttering flags and then called back. N.D., what does that mean? Hoarsely, Epp Summers fell back. Nothing doing. End of chapter 2 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagin